Let us pray together. Lord, open our lips and our mouths will declare your praise. You are good to those who wait for you, to all who seek you. Amen. It's amazing how important small things can be, things that you don't even notice at first. This Friday, I moved some antique wooden furniture. My friend Mary had received it from her parents, who got it when they married around 1911, and it was used at that time. I didn't notice until yesterday, but in the process of maneuvering these old wooden pieces up and down some very narrow stairways, I'd gotten a splinter in my right hand, just below my index finger. It was small, which made it harder to get out, and I spent some concentrated attention on that tiny little part of my body, pinching and pushing until I just gave up on the gentle method and pinched the whole spot with tweezers and took some skin with it. With our own bodies, we give special care to wounded parts. and We know that if we avoid tending to what hurts, it may well get worse. We know from experience that when we push ourselves too hard, we get sick. So at our best, we pause to care for our bodies when we're in pain or when we feel something isn't quite right. And sometimes this involves trusting others, doctors, nurses, and many other professionals who are trained to care for our health, to do surgeries, to give us medicine for severe pain, to help our bodies heal. And then as soon as we're able, we also know we need to use the parts that were wounded or weakened to strengthen them so that they can return to doing what they're meant to do. And so they can again fulfill their role and function along with all the other parts. And so it is with Christ's body. You, I, we together are the physical continuation of Christ's presence on earth. The spirit living in each of our bodies and in the space between us is ever transforming us to look more like who we already are, the living, breathing body of Christ. Along with our sisters and brothers throughout this city, throughout the world, whom Christ has called and made his own. And when one of our members is in pain, we give special care. We give space for healing. We give attention to the part that hurts. And at our best, in the normal course of things, our hurting members are restored to health and are again able to fulfill their function as part of the body. Sometimes we overuse certain parts and they become too tired and sore to continue functioning, while other parts grow weak from lack of use. And sometimes we give up on some parts of Christ's body healing. Maybe the exercises needed for strengthening seem too hard or too tedious, and so we resign ourselves to walking with a limp. Sometimes we pretend that other parts are not even part of the body, 
Maybe some members don't fit our image of a healthy and functioning body. And though we know we are all parts of the whole, all parts of one body, we have disagreements about how to clothe this many-membered body. And though the clothing of love is well-worn, we put it on as regularly as underwear, and yet occasionally it gets a tear or becomes threadbare in one spot, and it also needs tending. Maybe this is more clear with our own individual bodies and selves. Often we're sim simply ashamed of our less respectable parts. Let's take abs, for example. Abs, that largely undefined mid-region of our bodies. For most of us, this could be considered one of our weaker members. Now, Isaac, we're not counting you. Actually, just all of you young athletes would throw off the average. But for the rest of us, we can pretty easily say we're not boasting rock-hard abs. In fact, we might try to hide them, not draw undue attention to our bellies. Some of us pretend this part is not actually us, not a part of our body. Now, it shouldn't surprise us that God seems to have a different approach. To paraphrase Paul's explanation, if the brain would say, belly, because you are not beautiful like my hands, you do not belong to my body, the belly would not be any less a part of the body. The members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And those members that we think less honorable, we clothe with greater honor. And our less respectable members are treated with greater respect. Whereas our more respectable members do not need this. Of course, Paul is talking about our common life as a community of faith in Christ Jesus. But stay with me at the level of our individual bodies for just a moment. Just as ignoring a fever or a sharp pain is likely to result in our getting more ill before we get better, ignoring and rejecting the weaker, less honorable parts of ourselves is dangerous to our spiritual health. Have you tried ignoring a child who is calling for your attention? What happens? In my experience, the child will call my name louder and become more persistent with what he or she wants. When your child says, Mommy, look, or Daddy, watch me, and you are not watching, you pretty much always get called out for that, right? They're not satisfied until you've turned and given your loving attention. Our weaker parts are like this. The parts of ourselves we have deemed less honorable keep demanding our attention, and they will find a way to get it. Our ability to admit that our less respectable parts are indeed part of us, and to give them the attention they need, is a key practice in participating in the good news of Jesus. If we have the courage to give loving attention to our own inferior members within ourselves, if we, in the presence of our loving God, can face the parts that are aching and the parts that hurt others, 
we will not only make room for our own healing and transformation, but also become more tender toward all those less respectable parts of Christ's body. God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Take a look at Dewey's Divided Cross and listen in on some of the conversation I had with him about this piece. He had wanted to share this with you, um, but wasn't ready to speak in front of everyone. So here's some of what Dewey said as we looked at this piece together. I can say I'm a God-loving person, but I can also say that I'm not at times. I've heard in other churches people say, if you have sin in you, you're going to hell. They don't see it like that, like the picture. I do wrong, but I do good too. I really think that everybody feels one more than the other sometimes, and people just need someone to talk to to help them straighten out. I feel like I'm an equal amount of sin and worship. As Dewey says, each of us has a divided heart. Wanting what God wants and wanting to have our way at all costs. Each of us experiences inner conflicts or parts of ourselves we don't understand and don't particularly appreciate. And by the Spirit living within us, as we open ourselves, God is bringing our divided parts into harmony, creating a reconciliation of our interior lives. And you'll get tired of my saying this, but this is directly related to our paying attention to the people Jesus is paying special attention to. As Todd mentioned, Luke, in particular, opens up for us a glimpse into Jesus' special concern for outsiders, poor folk, prisoners, people who are pushed down, shut out, anyone at the edges. These are the people he calls to become the beloved community. These are the ones who become family to each other when before they had no such family. Christ comes among us even today proclaiming the good news of release to the captives, sight for the blind. The members of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable, and those members that we think less honorable we clothe with greater honor, and our less respectable members are treated with greater respect, whereas our more respectable members do not need this. But God has so arranged the body, giving the greater honor to the inferior member, that there may be no dissension within the body, but the members may have the same care for one another. Being one body with many different members who respect and care for one another doesn't mean we don't have wounds, and even obvious ones. This is dramatized for us each time we celebrate communion. The bread must be broken to be shared. Christ's life is poured out and multiplied, just like the seed which falls into the ground and bears much fruit. 
we too have our egos and expectations and need for control broken open. And as the living body of Christ in this time and place, we are each other's bread and wine. After all, Jesus' Jesus's resurrected body still bears visible wounds in prominent places, like wrists. As Todd vividly reminded us last week, we are a people living with revelation in view. The Lamb who was slain, bearing his wounds, sits upon the throne and is fit to shepherd us. The Lamb who is Lord. Christ, a seemingly insignificant one who calls other less respectable ones to surround the throne and reign with him forever. This is the mystery of our faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. We follow him through the passage of death, many small deaths as we become who we truly are and the life of God is lived in us. Becoming like Christ in death, we also rise with him, with wounds still showing and with new life beyond our imagining. So how do we actively participate in this dying and rising, even in our everyday lives? How do we participate in this dying and rising in our life together as East Chestnut Street Mennonite Church? Just as we see Jesus opening himself to the Father and receiving the Spirit in his baptism, yielded to God and participating in the flow of divine love, we too can pray a prayer of surrender just as Jesus wrestled with his deep resistance and fears in the garden of Gethsemane, we bring our full selves to prayer. None of us knows what new thing God will yet do among us or in the wider church. As we sit in that place of unknowing, we can pray for a holy indifference to anything but the will of God. This is not a prayer for apathy, but a releasing of our need to make things come out our way. This, quote, prayer for indifference or detachment is a centuries-old practice for Christians, drawn from the spiritual exercises of Ignatius of Loyola. Over the last eight months or so, our church board has been reading Discerning God's Will Together by Ruth Haley Barton. And she highlights this prayer as a key to doing true discernment. Asking God for the openness to release my agenda, for enough openness to be led by Christ. And if I don't want this, I can pray for the desire to release my agendas, the desire to open my heart and hands and be led. We need this kind of prayer in part because it's our attachments to our opinions, our desires, and even our attachment to our own self-protection that often calls us to do violence to one another. When we're attached to particular outcomes, we are holding back part of ourselves from God 
even from each other. And we are not free, not free to move wherever God may lead, and not free to trust that God is leading us in love toward our good. When the board last met and Laura presented the chapter describing this prayer for detachment or indifference, I knew yet again that I have not had this kind of trust. I have not been asking the Spirit for such a holy indifference to everything but God's way for us. I do desire it. And I feel the leap of trust it is to be that open-handed. I expect you will find or have found some similar things if you pray in this way. Because any time we attempt to pray prayers of surrender and release our grip on outcomes, we're bound to discover our own resistance, our own fear, anger, pain, grief will surface. And again, here is where our ability to allow and accept the parts of ourselves that are at odds with each other, our ability to live with our own inconsistencies, is directly related to our ability to relate peacefully with other people with whom we are at odds, people with whom we differ, people we don't understand and don't know how to relate to. Do it in here, and I'm pointing to my heart. And we can do it out here, out in our relationships as a community. And like anything else, it requires practice. The hopeful thing is we can practice. Would you join me in praying in this way over the next days, weeks, maybe months? But try just today, tomorrow. As Paul continued in his tempestuous relationship with the beloved Corinthian church, he found God saying to him, My grace is sufficient for you, for power is made perfect in weakness. And so I will boast all the more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Let us take some moments to be still before God, bringing our whole conflicted selves. And I'll close with this prayer from Ruth Haley Barton. It uses Isaiah 30. For thus says the Lord God, the Holy One of Israel, in returning and rest you shall be saved. In quietness and confidence shall be your strength. Therefore the Lord waits to be gracious to you. Therefore the Lord will rise up to show mercy to you. For the Lord is a God of justice. Blessed are all those who wait for him. O God of peace, who has taught us that in returning and rest we shall be saved, in quietness and confidence shall be our strength. By the power of your Spirit, open us, we pray, to your presence. 
where we may be still and know that you are God. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen.